Good morning, everybody. If we've not met before, my name is Richard, and um, along with my wife Judith, part of the the whole church leadership team that kind of, you've heard Philippa talking about our different communities. Um, We have a whole church team that tries to keep us united together around our vision and values that God has given us to pursue together as King's Church across all those multiple um, locations. So it's great to be with you here in King's House um, this morning. Um, I am around and about. Those of you that have been around for a while and kind of say to me sometimes, oh, we've not seen you in ages. Am I seeing things this morning, Richard, here? Um, I am around about. I promise you, I'm not just staying at home, putting my feet up um, on a Sunday. Um, so we've been going through um, the books of the Bible um, on our, our series, our tour through the books of the Bible, tracing God's overarching story, his message to us through all the different books of the Bible. And of course, we um, spent a long time going through all the different history books of the Old Testament, getting our heads around the history of how God has been forming a covenant people for himself. This word covenant has become really important to us, this sense of of relationship that God enters into with people, that he relates to people according to covenant. That means it's not a casual relationship. It means it's not a kind of here today, gone tomorrow kind of relationship, but God wants a permanency of relationship. And therefore, there are terms to that relationship. God says, this is what you can depend on from me. And he says, this is how I want you to live so that we can be in this relationship together. So we've learned lots of history about God's dealings with us as human beings throughout that Old Testament history, and particular in Israel. And then more recently, we've looked at a couple of books that have been more about individuals' experiences, So we looked at the the book of Job and we've looked at Psalms and expressions of worship and pouring out our hearts um, to God. Well, this morning we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is all about wisdom. Now, the Hebrew word translated as wisdom in Proverbs actually implies much more than just kind of intellectual understanding. So it's not talking about being really clever. But the Hebrew word for wisdom here is more about action and about skill, if you like, ability. So that wisdom here is actually about the, the understanding, the wisdom, the ability, the skill to live life well. To be able to live life to the full, to be able to live life the way it's supposed to be. That's the kind of wisdom that the book of Proverbs is talking about. Um, There are um, three books in the Hebrew Bible um, that are are often known as the wisdom books. And they are um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, um, it's gone out of my head, Job. We've already looked at Job. Um, Actually, in the Hebrew Bible, the order of the books is slightly different to what it is in our English Bibles. So, if you like, Job would normally come after in a, in a study, but because of our order, we've done Job first. Now, the reason I make this point is if you read Proverbs without the other wisdom books, you could kind of accuse the Bible of being a little bit simplistic, because Proverbs is very much, if you live a wise life, duh, 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 and you follow all this wisdom, then everything's going to go fine for you. Now, if you just read Proverbs, you'd be like, hang on a minute, I'm not sure that's um, my experience. So I'll give you an example, Proverbs 10 and 27. 
Proverbs 10, 27 says, The fear of the Lord adds strength to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. So if you have the fear of the Lord, you're going to live a long life. And if you are wicked, you're going to have a short life. And yet lots of you will go, hang on a minute. I've looked around me and I've seen some wicked people in their hundreds. I know we tend to think people are cute when they get older, but that's a bit patronising, really, because actually old people are just as capable of being sinners as anyone else. Okay, so being old doesn't make you cute and lovely. You can be wicked and evil and old. So, so you might look around and say, well, hang on a minute, this doesn't quite work. And I've seen someone really good who sought to fear God and, and they got cut off in their prime. So if you just read that in Proverbs, or for example, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, how many parents here have pulled their hair out thinking, oh my goodness, where did I go wrong? Because actually they have experienced a time in their children's life where perhaps they went off in a wrong direction. And does that mean that this wasn't true? What we have to understand that this is a general rule. This is not dealing with the exceptions. Proverbs is like teaching you the general wisdom and you put it together with Job and with um, Ecclesiastes and you get that fuller picture that actually that Job and Ecclesiastes, they tend to deal more with the exceptions, with when things go wrong, when things, you know, when we don't understand why has this happened and, and we've looked at that already, haven't we, in Job. Job pouring out his heart to God saying, I don't understand. I thought it was supposed to be if I did good things and good things happened. Okay, so we put Proverbs into its context and realise it's part of what God has to say about wisdom. But nevertheless, this is giving us God's ways, God's way of living life well, the way life is supposed to be. Proverbs are proverbs, they're not promises. Okay, They're not promises, they're not prophecy, and they're not law. So we can't read this book as law, like those first five books of the Old Testament, and we can't read them like prophecy, like we read the prophecies, the prophetic books that we're going to come on to. They are proverbs, they are wisdom, they are God's ways, God's wisdom to us of how to live life well. So having looked at Job, and, and we'll go on to look at Ecclesiastes, we know that the Bible does deal with the exceptions too. It's not denying the pain and the confusion that sometimes goes on um, in our world, but it's a different kind of writing. And there are poems here um, from a father to a son, and there are also writings from a mother to a son in the book of um, Proverbs. Um, it's often associated with Solomon. So some of you will have in your mind, oh, it's the Proverbs of Solomon. Um, actually, he is mentioned in the introduction, but we know for a fact that not all the material comes um, from him. But he's like kind of a figurehead because in Israel's history, that was the thing he asked God for, wasn't it? He asked God for wisdom and God blessed him for that. So he became like a figurehead in Israel's history of representing wisdom. But it's actually a collection of different writings and materials that were passed on often from one generation to another. So actually, human words of wisdom, 
got collected together and became God's word of wisdom to his people. And that's really important because God teaches his people wisdom through his people, through one generation speaking to another. And we're going to come back to that in a bit. So this is the Bible setting out general wisdom, not trying to deal with all the exceptions and all the the difficulties and challenges and pain, but this is the Bible saying, here's some general wisdom for you, how to live your life well. And the key to that, we learn in Proverbs, is the fear of the Lord. Uh, Before we go any further, we're going to watch um, a short video from our friends. I say our friends because we've watched a lot of our videos, not that we know them personally, but from our friends in America who've put together the BibleProject.com, and this should hopefully help us get a bit of an overview. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life? Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, And it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them. But the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. 
And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters one through nine in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And Chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is gonna be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is really beautiful. But if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people and sometimes foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right, which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes the Critic, because he's wrestled with that very problem and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. So we're not gonna go and study Ecclesiastes today but we will. So um, just to give us a bit more of a kind of getting into the book of Proverbs, I'm going to read a number of passages. So it'd be great if you've got a Bible, if you um, turn with me. First of all, to Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll read the first nine verses, which are very much an introduction to the book. So Proverbs chapter 1, 1 to 9. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And Proverbs chapter four, and we'll read the first 13 verses in Proverbs chapter four as well. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will 
give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. And when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. And Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So there's this concept of wisdom, of living life well, of living life the way it is supposed to be, that we are exalted to cherish, to value, to seek after, to hold on to. We're, we're challenged here. It's important that you should want to know how to live your life well, that you should pursue this because actually your life will count for more. You will accomplish more with your life. Now, we know because we can take a step back, we know this is not a promise saying you will have X number of years if you follow this many of the rules and you will have this many years if you only follow this many or, and you'll be graded according to how many rules you kept. This is not what it's setting out to do at all. But it's telling you if you want your life to count for all that God has designed it to count for, however long your life might be, Whatever things God may have already purposed that you would accomplish and fulfill through your life, whatever his call upon you is, if you want to be successful in being all that he's called you to be, then there is a way to live your life. There is a way to live before God. There is a way to get the maximum out of life. And the Bible is saying to us, that's by being wise, by having wisdom. And so actually, we should pursue wisdom. And so younger generations are being exalted here. Go after wisdom. Don't think that you know everything. Don't think you've already got everything sorted. But be hungry to understand God's ways of living in our world. So three points I'd like to make um, this morning. Firstly, this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, we read it just now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Remember, wisdom here is this skill, this ability to live life well, to live life at its best. Remember, Jesus came that we would have life to the full. We've, we've heard that already quoted um, this morning. Well, how do we live life to the full? How do we live life at its best? Well, the beginning of wisdom is actually to fear God. We're not talking about the kind of fear that is cowering away. We're not talking about a child who is terrified of their abusive parent that doesn't know from one minute to the other where they stand, that is, that is worried that they're about to receive some kind of um, beating for displeasing behaviour. We are not talking about that kind of fear at all. But there is a fear of God. There is a different kind of fear of God. There is a reverence and there is an awe. 
We have rightly um, emphasised and, and taught and, and sought an understanding and a revelation of the love and the grace of God because this is who God reveals himself to be. He is the God of unfailing love and grace. He is the God who loves us with every ounce of his being because God is love. And this is how he chooses to reveal himself to us. And there has never been love like that which was manifest when Jesus, the Son of God, came and bore all the sin and iniquity of the world and took it upon his own shoulders. And he bore our sin, our sickness and our infirmity and he poured out his life in love. There has never been a greater love than that which is manifest in Jesus from God towards us, his people. He loves us. And we say that we build our whole community around that truth, knowing first and foremost that we are loved unconditionally with a love that will never leave us or forsake us, that we can depend upon in its you know, entirety, that we don't have to cower away. The Bible says, doesn't it, in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But if you're in Christ Jesus, then everything that has to be punished has already been punished at the cross. He's already taken all of your punishment. So we're not talking about punishment anymore. But that does not mean that there is not a place for the fear of God in your life and mine. Because God is an awesome God. God is a holy, righteous God. He is the ruler of the universe. So this God, with whom we are intimate friends, who is the lover of our souls, who is more tender than a mother towards us, who is a gracious, loving, compassionate father, who is slow to anger and abounding in love, this same God is also a mighty, awesome, terrifying God whose power and might we cannot even begin to understand. He is the God who dwells in unapproachable light. You think about, I don't know, maybe you've been in, in, in the cinema and it's been all dark or you've been in, in some other kind of dark setting and you come out on a bright day and you know what it's like when you're kind of like squinting, it's like painful, the brightness of the sun in your eyes, that is nothing compared to that image of God who dwells in unapproachable light. He is awesome. He's holy. He's not to be messed with. If I can describe it like this, and of course all human analogies um, break down, but you know there are times with my kids where, where we mess about and we play um, and we'll be rolling about on the floor, play fighting or whatever. There's times when my kids will tease me. There's kind, times when they will joke with me. There's times when my daughter will say, Dad, there's no way you're going out of the house wearing that. You know, there's times when they'll be familiar. There's times maybe when we're on holiday, when we'll be kind of like on sun loungers next to each other, chilled out and relaxed. But there are times when I talk to my children that if they're rolling on the floor or if they're lying down, just like being all casual and chilled, I'm going to have a problem because I want to talk to them right now. And there's a time when they have to know, no, hang on a minute. It's time to honour my father. It's time to show honour and respect and we have to be able to handle having a relationship with God with whom we are intimate, with whom we are closest friends, 
who is the lover of our souls, where we can chill out and we can be laid back in his presence, just enjoying a great time. We can be worshipping, we can be jumping out and having fun. And it's amazing. And that same God, we don't compartmentalise him. That same God is the God before whom we kneel. The God before whom we bow and we fall on our faces with awe and adoration. We cannot afford to be flippant with God. Because if we want to live life well, it begins with the fear of the Lord. That means that when God speaks, we're not like, just oh yeah, interesting point of view, actually I've got my own ideas. Okay, I'll bear that in mind. I had a conversation with one of my children once, and he said, well, thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I've given away it was a he. Uh, he said, I'll bear that in mind. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. I am not like one of your mates that you're going to put my advice alongside all of theirs. I'm not taking away your right to decide. I'm not taking away your free will right now, but I at least need to know that what I am saying to you is on a whole different level to what all your mates at school are saying. We can't treat God flippantly. We can't treat God just as if he's one of our buddies, one of our pals, just like everybody else. When God says something to us, he is God. He is my Lord and my King. That is how I became a Christian. I bowed my knee before him and I said, your will will be supreme in my life. You want to live life well. You want to get the maximum out of life. You have to resolve this right from the beginning. He's in charge. And I will live my life with a right and appropriate fear of him. That is to say, I take what he says to me seriously. Loving God includes obedience to him. John 15, 9 to 11 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You want to have a full, joyful life? You want life to be full of blessing, of being in a great place in your relationship with God? Then be obedient to him. He won't stop loving you because of your unfaithfulness or disobedience but it will affect your ability to remain in his love, to live there, to enjoy it, to prosper and to flourish in that love. He's always going to love you. He's never going to take his love away from you. But you know, don't you, when you don't live right before God, it affects your relationship with him. It's not that he's moved, it's that you've moved. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The grace of God The grace of God that we love to to embrace and to live in. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. In Acts 9.31 it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The church prospered and grew when they were strengthened by the Holy Spirit and lived in the fear of the Lord. We as a community need to be a people who have a right and appropriate fear of God. 
that we don't think that we can live any old how, that we don't think we can just design things around here however we feel that they should be, that we don't have a relationship with God that says, you know what, actually, I know I'm pretty awesome and you're just going to have to take me as I am. No, we have a relationship with God where we come before him and we say, do you know what, you are awesome and I want to be however you want me to be. So firstly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Secondly, God teaches us wisdom through his people from one generation to another. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 said, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So being older doesn't necessarily make you wiser. Um, it's not automatic, okay? So there are foolish old people. Um, perfectly possible to be old and foolish. Like we've said, perfectly possible to be old and sinful, to be old and ungodly. But there is a general principle in Scripture that age and, and experience are to be highly valued. Especially when that experience is in walking with God. So when someone has gained wisdom and experience through walking with God faithfully through the years, we are to honour that wisdom and experience and we're to value it. Now, honouring it and valuing it doesn't look like, would anyone over a certain age please stand up once a year and then we all applaud. That's not honouring and valuing wisdom and experience. Honouring and valuing wisdom experience means that those of us who have less experience than those people are keen, are hungry, have a desire because we value it. It's worth something to us, so we want to tap into it. That's what honouring and valuing that wisdom and experience looks like. If you've been walking with God for, let's say, 25 years or more, would you stand up? If you've been walking with God for 25 years or more, would you stand up? Now, we can applaud these people. Go and give them a round of applause. Now, these people, and some of them have been walking with God for a lot more than... Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Some of these guys have been walking with God for a lot more than 25 years. But I would imagine they've probably had one or two experiences in the last 25 years. I'd imagine they've probably learned something about the, the highs and the lows, the frustrations, the times when you feel far from God and then the times when you feel really close to God. I would imagine they've probably experienced the, the questions of why did, was I absolutely certain that I had faith and that prayer was going to be answered and then it didn't happen. I reckon they've probably had to deal with pride. I reckon they've probably had to deal with caring too much what people around them think about them and and where they stand with God and being secure in their identity with him. They haven't got everything sorted. They haven't got everything right. They're not going to be automatically right about every question you ask them just because they've got 25 years under the belt of living with Jesus. But I reckon that they're worth tapping into their wisdom and their knowledge and their understanding. I reckon that they could help us. If you've been walking with God for less than five years, would you just stand up for a moment? If you've been walking with God for less than five years. You've been a Christian for less than five years. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Do you know what? The Bible talks about a first love. 
talks about a passion, talks about a grace um, upon our lives that when we're just like in love with Jesus and I reckon there's something for us to learn. I reckon there's something for us to be blessed by. There's a passion, there's an enthusiasm, but I reckon there's also, for those of us that have been walking with God for more than 25 years, we could just look around and say, well, they're the new kids on the block. Or we could say, actually, I want to pass on something of what God has blessed me with and taught me. Maybe you could stand up if you are under 25. Jackie, honesty in the house of God. Okay, if you're physically under 25 years of age, not in your heart, but if you are physically, if you were born 25 years ago or less, in naturally born, are we clear? Fantastic. Okay, guys, you can sit down. What about those who are between, let's say, um, 25 and 35? Stand up if you're between 25 and 35. Do you know what? Between 25 and 35, you can stay standing for a moment. Between 25 and 35, I reckon that's a really challenging time. Because it's like, you know, the, you know you're not quite sure where you are anymore in the whole kind of church. Because you're not, you're not kind of in the, well, it depends where the church sets the boundary of young adults. But you're not quite sure if you're a young adult or not. But you're certainly not one of the old wise people that everyone comes to and... And maybe, maybe it's starting to, for some people, not everyone, but some people, maybe it's like, is, you know, is this all there is? Is this, is this like the pinnacle of, of walking with Jesus? And, and is it all going to happen? And, and perhaps I was really passionate and zealous in the past. And, and of course, for some people, this is the age bracket in which they are like coming to terms with and getting used to kind of like being married or having children. Um, and, and for other people in this age bracket coming to terms with um, why haven't I got married and why aren't I having children? And for other people in this age bracket, I wish everybody would stop assuming that I want to be married or have children. <laughs> it's quite a challenging age bracket, isn't it? Uh, there are people here, those of you who are older and who've been through some of this stuff, have a look around you. There are people here who could benefit from your support and from your encouragement from you asking them questions about how they're getting on, how they feel about things. I don't mean like going up to them on a Sunday morning, not knowing them at all, and then asking them loads of really deep and meaningful private questions. I'm talking about building relationship. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. What about those of you who are... (laughs) Okay, you can abstain, but you can't lie. Those of you who are between 35 and 50. Those of you who are between 35 and 50. I'm stood between 35 and 50. Now, th- now, this is a generation that's kind of like, you know, an, an in-between generation because you've still got people who are kind of like above you that you're looking to receive wisdom from, but you're very much into the phase now where you need to be looking at those who are younger generations because there are people around, plenty of people in the church who are either your children or young enough to be your children, and there's stuff for you to pass on to them. Let's have a look. Who's... Who's 50 plus in 50 plus? Thanks, guys. You know, thanks. You can take your seats again. There are people, there are people here 
50 plus have got a whole load of life experience. However long they've been walking with Jesus, some of them 50 plus and walking with Jesus for less than five years. Some of them 50 plus and walking with Jesus for 50 plus years. Um, so a whole range of experiences. We've got Zeta, our oldest member, sat with us here. Whose, whose age will not be shared. <laughs> but we could have gone on a little bit past 50. <laughs> but do you know what? I want to say this to the younger people amongst us. It's really challenging living in our world right now. And the world that you live in is not going to teach you the fear of the Lord. And sometimes you look around at the older people in the church and you feel that maybe they're a little bit disconnected from your world. You feel that maybe sometimes they don't really understand. Some of the youth here this morning, some of the younger people, students maybe, maybe you feel that the world's moved on a bit and, and maybe some of the older people in the church, they don't really understand the world in which you live. And that may or may not be true. But do you know what? It's the people here who have walked with Jesus who are going to be far more help to you in determining how to apply the wisdom of God to your life than the world in which you live. Because the TV that you watch, the internet that you search, and the songs that you listen to are not going to help you work out how to be different in your generation. So there may be a lack of understanding. There may be things that you need to help older generations to understand. You may need to help them to apply their wisdom into the world in which you live. By relationship, by dialogue, by actually sitting down together and talking together. And maybe you'll be surprised about the eagerness to learn in some of the older generation amongst us. Maybe you'll be surprised about the keenness and the willingness to understand the challenges that you go through and to support you through those challenges. But we need to realize that wisdom lies within the house of God and does not lie amongst what I'm being taught in that, you know, it's great to learn. Please don't think I'm, I'm rubbishing secular education. I'm not at all. I believe in it. I'm encouraging my kids to apply themselves to do well at school. But I do know this, that moral values will not be taught to them by the school in which they attend. I know that that's my responsibility as a parent and I know that it's our responsibility as the community of God's people. And those of you who are older, I want to encourage you this. Because sometimes you may feel that the younger people don't draw on your wisdom, don't appreciate your wisdom. I want to encourage you, you're the parents. Okay, sometimes I feel a bit hard done by and I get myself into a little bit of a state and I complain to God and the, you know, about you know, my parenting and everything. And one of the things I hear God say to me again and again and again, Richard, who's the parent here? Richard, who's the parent here? Don't moan about how they treat you. You're the parent. And I want to say to those of us that are in middle or older generations to say, actually, you're the parents here. You're the older one. You're the ones with the wisdom and the experience. And I want to encourage you. If people reject it, if they don't want to spend time with you, then you've done all that you can. But pursue relationship with the younger generations. Pursue relationship with them. Go after them because you have got something valuable that they need. We need to pass on wisdom. It's not just about having all the answers for the situation. Sometimes you'll have to work out the answers together. But it's being willing to go on the journey together. God has got wisdom for us of how to live our lives. 
The world around us tells us, you know what, if, if for a young person, it is really, really challenging. I'll just give you one example. For a young person, it is really, really challenging in our schools and in our universities right now to believe that sex should only be within a marriage relationship. That puts them not just at odds with, but, but ridiculed by the rest of the society in which they live. It, puts, puts them, it, it makes them just seem so stupid so foolish, so quaint, so irrelevant, so out of date. That is a massive pressure, let alone believing that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And that makes them like to be, to be hated almost, if they hold on to that belief. So they are under incredible pressure in the world in which they live. And society is telling them all the time. Now, if we just shake our heads and just say, that's terrible, if we don't show understanding, if we don't show compassion, if we're not in this together then actually we will abandon the wisdom of God and we'll end up being more shaped by the society in which we live than by the wisdom of God that rests in his people. So we have to be committed to one another. We have to help one another across the generations, not in a lecturing kind of way, but in a committed, relational, we're in this together kind of way. My third point is this, Jesus has become for us wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. The book of Proverbs was written to God's old covenant people before Jesus came. But the way for us to apply the, the principle of getting wisdom and understanding is to live in Christ Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Living in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in you is the way for you to live life to the full. For the way for you to live life at its best, through your relationship with God. And that is where the generations can help one another. We might not have all the latest kind of terms and expressions. Um, you might not dab. Um, you might not... Um, <laughs> some of you, if you don't know what I mean, it's just proving my point. <laughs> This is dabbling. <laughs> and, and if my daughter was here, she'd say, no, 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 dad. <laughs> but we know how to walk with Jesus. And Jesus has become for us wisdom. Let us help one another across the generations to pursue a relationship with Jesus that honours him, that cherishes him, and therefore cherishes the wisdom that he gives us for how to live life right in his presence. Amen. God bless you.